we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want you to take your Bible and go with me into the New Testament, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. We begin looking at this passage last week, and uh, we'll, uh, Lord willing, conclude it this evening from 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Uh, as, as we have noted, <clears throat> excuse me, as we have noted in our study of 1 Corinthians, the uh, church at Corinth uh, was a gifted church and a blessed church, but uh, there were some problems in the church. There was a lot of carnality in the church, immorality, jealousy, envy, and uh, a misunderstanding of the purpose of gifts and their use uh, that led to division. There were personality-type cults within that church, meaning that people were divided by personalities that they followed. And this, of course, Paul corrects in the opening chapters of this letter. Uh, we find that Paul is answering questions uh, that the Corinthian believers had. We noted the answer to the questions concerning marriage. And then in chapter 8, concerning the things that were offered unto idols, and Paul used that as an occasion to discuss Christian liberty and the limits to liberty. And in chapter number 9, Paul is answering questions concerning those who criticized him in his apostleship, but he's also, while he's answering his critics, he is illustrating for them, he is uh, demonstrating for them how that he himself as an apostle, uh, was limited in what he could do based on his love for the people and based on his love for the Lord and his understanding of what God had called him to do. Uh, he was called to be an apostle. His job was to proclaim the message of the gospel at a very critical time in the first century when the church was established and in its infancy. And so though he had liberty, though he was an apostle and he had authority, we find that he did not uh, exercise that authority without an understanding of the limits of love. And because he loved the Lord and because he loved the Lord's people, there were things that he could have done that he did not do so as not to stir further questions and cause division among God's people. And really, while he's answering his critics, he is demonstrating uh, this uh, example for us of the limits to our liberty. Now, we come to chapter 9, and uh, what we'll do this evening is we'll pick up, we'll pick up in verse number 15. Uh, he says, beginning in verse 15, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be so done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, 
Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For I do, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, that I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, or as uncertainly rather, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. In other words, I'm not just throwing punches in the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, uh, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I want you to go back, if you would please, to the question Paul begins with in verse number one, when he says, am I not an apostle? Am I not an apostle? And as we have noted, uh, the Apostle Paul answered his critics. And that was our first thought that we covered last week, is the Apostle and his critics. And we find that he affirmed his position by stating again that he was an Apostle, that he uh, was called of the Lord and given the apostolic gifts. He was a man used of God to teach doctrine to uh, to reveal biblical scriptural truth that was inspired and infallible and that was received in the canon of scripture and authoritative that was his position as an apostle and so he affirmed his position and he also affirmed his liberty and then we see that he appealed to his proof notice again in verse 2 if I be not an apostle unto others, yea, doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. If there was any question about whether or not I am an apostle, then all you have to do is look at what God has done in Corinth, the church that was established, souls saved. And uh, we noted then in verse 3, mine answer to them that do examine me is this, have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? So he, he answered here their protests in uh, verses uh, 3 through 5, their protests concerning uh, his finances. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Do we not have the right, the authority to expect that as ministers sent out from the church, to expect then that the church uh, would support us? 
Uh, Then in verse 5, concerning his family, have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles? Now, again, as I mentioned last week, uh, it is believed that the apostle Paul was not married. He was never married, perhaps. Some believe it's possible he had a wife who had died, but that's not in any way recorded in Scripture, and so it's just mere speculation. But what we do believe is that he was a single man. And uh, he declares that in the scripture. And as we've noted already in 1 Corinthians 7, he wished that uh, the unmarried would remain even as he was unmarried. And uh, so we saw that he affirmed his position. And then secondly, we noted last week the apostle and his compensation. In uh, verse number six, he said, or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working. In other words, if we decided to forbear working and uh, be supported by the church so that we might give ourselves over to uh, the preaching of the gospel, that we might give our full attention to that effort, then we have that authority to do so as apostles, or Paul is an apostle. Barnabas, of course, is not an apostle, but a missionary sent uh, by the church. And so Paul gave uh, pictures which illustrated that truth, the picture of the soldier uh, who was paid uh, for his service as a soldier. Uh, He didn't have to worry while he was fighting the battles if he was going to be cared for. Uh, That was a part of the commission that he was given. Uh, The sower who plants the vineyard, is he not able to eat of the fruit of the vineyard? And then the shepherd who feeds the flock, does he not enjoy also then the fruits of the flock and the fruits of his ministry? So the picture which illustrated the truth, then we saw the precepts which commanded the truth in verses 8 through 10, that it was written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen, or saith it altogether for our sakes? As God made provision for the oxen to eat while they were treading out the corn, uh, the Lord also makes provision for his servants uh, to eat, to, to be cared for. Paul gave us a personal note in verses 11 through 12 and beyond. And concerning uh, the responsibility of the church to take care of those it commissions, take care uh, financially for the pastors and for those who are sent out as as missionaries, uh, that they are to be supported uh, by the people financially. We looked at all of that last time. And then we come now uh, to verse number 16, and we see the apostle and his commission. And this is where we pick up uh, the apostle and his commission. And so this is new territory if you're taking notes. Number three, the apostle and his commission. And here we have some light into Paul's heart, and we see uh, much of his ministry and his motive. His ministry and his motive. Now, uh, we'll, we'll divide this section into these two headings, uh, his call and his compassion. You say, well, you just said his ministry and his motive, and I, I guess those would work too, but uh, really I think we'll note his call and his compassion. But in this section, we're going to see his ministry, how he conducted it, and his motive. And uh, so if I haven't thoroughly confused you enough, let's just pick up in verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Here we have the difference between a hireling, 
and a God-called preacher, a God-called apostle, someone who was sent on a mission. This speaks of his motive, doesn't it? Because he, he's saying here, look, I didn't get in this, uh, in this uh, occupation, this calling, this vocation. This, I did not choose this. It chose me. Rather, God chose me. And I don't have any other option. There's nothing else I can do. Necessity is laid upon me. Yes, we know that Paul was a tent maker and that he worked with his hands, right? We know that he did that. In fact, he did so to support himself so as not to place a burden upon the churches. That became a matter of criticism as well as expect, or him or others expecting a love offering. And we talked about how fickle critics can become. We also saw Paul's response, his, hum his humility in receiving that criticism and answering it, not in an ugly way, but in a Christ-like way. But now he says to the church, he said, look, there's something you need to understand. I didn't choose this. God chose me. Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, notice the language here. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. He said, I don't even want to consider what would happen if I decided to do something other than what God has called me to do? You see, Paul had an understanding of his calling. Now, if we went back into the book of Acts, we know that the Lord said uh, that he is a chosen vessel. Speaking of Paul, he's a chosen vessel. I have chosen him. Now, Paul was at that time known as Saul. He was on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the Christians. And along the road, what happened? <laughs> he heard a voice. He was blinded by a light. He fell to the ground. And the voice was the voice of the Lord Jesus, Saul. Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul responded by saying, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You see, a prick is a sharp instrument. It's used by a farmer uh, to goad his animals along. He's, as he's trying to move them forward, maybe it's some oxen pulling a cart and he's trying to keep them moving. And so he uses a goad every once in a while to apply a little pressure, uh, to uh, give a little, a little pain to, to motivate them to move. And we see here that God has been dealing. Now this happens in our mind all at once, but there's no doubt that God has been dealing with Saul. And finally he's come to the point where there's no further resistance now, Saul is coming face to face with the Lord Jesus. And uh, the Lord said to um, uh, Ananias, he said, he said, when he comes to you, you're going to help him. But I want you to know uh, he's going to suffer great things for me. I've got a purpose. I've got a plan for his life. And uh, he has no choice in the matter. Uh, I've called him to do it. Now, the truth is, if God's called you to do it, most of the time when God calls most men, not all, but most are willing and happy to do it. Now, there may be some initial hesitancy and some form of resistance, but in most cases, most men understand that this is a call that God has placed upon their lives, and, and though they know that they are insufficient in themselves, they are happy to endeavor to do so. There are those who run from the call of God. Remember how that worked out for Jonah? 
ending up in the belly of the whale, then finally in Nineveh and how God used him. Now, Paul said, necessity is laid upon me. Yea, what was unto me if I preached not the gospel? No doubt, no doubt he knew the story of Jonah in the belly of the whale. And he thought, I don't want to end up anywhere near uh, the belly of the whale or in any situation that would remind me of it. So he was aware of his call. Notice in verse 17, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Now, the, the, Paul is not saying here that I'm doing this against my will. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if I didn't choose to do this, if God has chosen me, then I am chosen as a steward of the gospel. I am, I am given this responsibility. I didn't choose it, but God chose me. Verse 18, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. I'm not seeking to profit myself from the gospel. You say, well, how do I know true ministers in this age? Well, those guys who are seeking to advance selves and fly $60 million airplanes across the country you might be a little suspicious of those guys because their motive is money, not ministry. Paul said, that's not my motive. I want to make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I do not want to add to any complication of the gospel. I don't want to give anyone the wrong idea about my motive or about how that you can come to Christ. Now, remember, in one of Paul's first mission trips, he came across a man who saw him lay hands on someone and impart the Holy Spirit to them. You remember that? And the man said, now, wait a minute, he said. Uh, look, can uh, I'll give you whatever you want, um, but I, I need that gift. I, I want to be able to lay hands on people and I want to give them the Holy Spirit because, man, if I had that gift, business would pick back up. Now, the guy was a sorcerer before, you, you see. And so the people would come to him, but now that they had been delivered and saved, delivered from that superstitious foolishness and delivered from that demonic oppression and deception. Now, here's a guy who decided, hey, I want to use this for my own personal gain. I want you to know that our calling is not about the advancement of ourselves. It is about the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel. And may God help us to keep that in mind. You guys called to ministry or wrestling with this call. Understand this. There's such a temptation, such a temptation to advance self. But it's not about you and it's not about me. Uh, may God help us to be faithful to the call he's placed on our lives. Now, we're talking about his commission, his call. But then we note, secondly, his compassion. His compassion. Notice in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, I owe nobody anything. No one controls me. Yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Though I have liberty, Paul says, though I am free from all men, I don't have anybody to please but the Lord. For the sake of the gospel, I have become the servant unto all that I might gain 
the more. In other words, I'm concerned about how people view me because I don't want to be viewed in any way that would alienate people from Jesus. Now, again, we live in this era of of liberty, Christian liberty. We talked about that, this, this liberty of yours. And liberty is an important truth. But we're not to abuse our liberty and exercise our liberty at the expense of lost people continuing on in their deception and their darkness and ending up in in eternity without Christ. And so Paul, because he has compassion for people, because he has a conviction about his call, is willing to set aside his liberty for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of souls. So notice, if you would again, verse 20, and under the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. Now, Paul is a Jew, right? He understands the Jews. He knows their, he, he, he knows their hang-ups with the gospel. He, he knows the traditions that they want to hold to. He knows the hurdles that are there. And so he identifies with them, okay? To them that are under the law is under the law. Now, Paul was freed from the law. He makes that point very uh, wonderfully and accurately. He's not any longer under the law, but he identifies with people who are under the law. He says that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, those who have no understanding of the law, those who have never lived in, uh, under the dominion of the law, I, I, I can identify with them as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. He said, I'm not lawless, though I'm no longer under the Old Testament law, I am under the law of Christ. And that was the law that limited his liberty. That was the law that that compelled him to be a servant to all men. He said that I might gain them that are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do, notice the next few words. Would you read these words for me? This I do for, read it with me, the gospel's sake. Not for my sake. Not because I have rights. Not because nobody can tell me what to do. Not because I have Christian liberty. Not because I'm an apostle and who are you to question me. No. He said, I become the servant of all. I identify with people. I want to understand where they are so that I might gain an opportunity to be a witness to them, to give them the gospel, to exhibit compassion to them. And I do this not for my sake, but for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. I want to say this to you. If there are limits to our liberty, here they are for the gospel's sake in making decisions about what you do and where you go, how you dress. In making those decisions, understand that those decisions are to be motivated by our desire to please the Lord and to point people to Jesus. They're not to be based on what we think is right or what we want to do because we all have different opinions, don't we? And, oh, if you want to stir it up, just pick one of those topics and let's try to hash it out. (laughs) 
No. Remember, we don't have to talk. That's the problem with social media. Everybody wants to talk about everything. They think they need to debate every question known to man. No, you don't. Remember, our communication is to be that which edifies. Edifying is building people up, not tearing them down. Edifying is building them up in Christ, not tearing them down in their faith, pointing out everything you don't like about every church you've ever attended or every pastor that you've ever known. And again, this is sort of the spirit of our age and the industry of the day among many in the social media world. What are we missing? An understanding of what we've been called to do and a compassion for people and lost sinners. So we see the apostle and his commission. God has given us this commission. We're his church. We're his representatives. We have a commission. We have a call upon our lives. Not everybody in this room, obviously, is called to be a, a preacher of the gospel, but we're all called as saints of God. We're all called to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. We're all called to a life of holiness and purity and sanctification. We're called to be witnesses unto the Lord, and we are to be compassionate people, identifying with those who've never been in the door of a church or those who have been in the door of the church their whole life. Whatever the case may be, we are to be compassionate and seek to understand and seek to communicate to them the truth of God's word. May God fill our hearts with compassion. This is a part of our commission. Then lastly, number four, we note the apostle and his concern. The apostle and his concern. What is occupying Paul's mind at this time? Now, I want you to put yourself in Paul's place. He's given up everything he's ever known. He's rejected it. Remember now, he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He spent his whole life seeking to be uh, in this position, a leader of the Jews. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was respected. He was educated. Uh, he was well-loved by those in, in the circle of Judaism. But now he has eschewed all of that. He's turned his back on all of that. He has now become, as he states, the filth and offscouring of all the earth. He's done that. He's become that for the sake of the gospel. He has gone and traveled mile after mile. If you read uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and you read of Paul's sufferings, the, the shipwrecks and, and all of the necessities that he suffered and the beatings that he endured uh, for the sake of the gospel, he, he did so in order to get the gospel uh, to the people at Corinth and, and, and all the regions that he writes these letters to. <clears throat> and so imagine then Paul's reaction when people begin to question his apostleship, when they begin to criticize him, when they begin to say, you know, I, Paul, Paul, I, I don't really like him, but Apollos, I like Apollos. Now, I want to tell you what most of us would be tempted to do. Most of us would be tempted to say, you bunch of dirty scoundrels. Don't you realize what I've done for you? 
Sounds like a speech a lot of us parents give to our kids from time to time, right? Who are you to question me? <laughs> and by the way, that speech is needed maybe every once in a while, right? But Paul doesn't respond with a concern for himself. Again, he's learning a great lesson, death to self. The things he must suffer for my sake, as the Lord said. What is his concern then? Well, let's look at it in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they, that's the runners of the race, the Olympic runners, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, those who are saints, who know the Lord, who are in a spiritual race, we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What is on the apostle Paul's mind? It's his race. His race. Now, that's a picture that he uses to illustrate this truth. We're in a race. Verse 26, I therefore so run let me ask you this question concerning your own spiritual life your own christian life are you running are you running the race have you gotten out of the race maybe you've gotten tired and you've gotten weary or you've gotten lazy maybe you've gotten discouraged i want to encourage you let's get back in the race now the race isn't easy is it because this is an endurance race. This isn't a 50-yard dash. This is a, a marathon. This is a lifetime race. And the Apostle Paul is concerned then about his race. He's, he's not concerned about his reputation. He's concerned about his race. Now, he's concerned enough about his reputation that he doesn't want to do anything that mars the name of Jesus, but he's not concerned by those who criticize him personally. I remember Billy Ingram telling me several years ago something that's really, really helped me. It came from Danny Whetstone. Uh, Brother Whetstone is a missionary. He's been here and preached for us several times. We need to have him back. But Brother Whetstone said to Billy Ingram, he said, don't respond to personal attacks. If the devil finds out that he can get you to respond to those, he'll keep them coming. I thought, man, I need to hear that. I need to hear that. Now, I don't always do a good job in not responding, but I probably do a better job in not responding. You see, Paul, he knew what his race was. We need to know what our race is. It's not a race to make money. It's not a race to build our reputation. Let's remember what our race is. As I said, not many people in this room have been called to preach as a pastor or called to missions but you're all called to serve no matter what your vocation is remember what your race is about in your home raising your children you're in a race run to win 
that race. Give it your best. Understand that you're going to have some bad days, you know. I remember when I was in high school, we had to run a six-minute mile if we were going to play basketball. And so I remember running around my neighborhood, and it was hilly. And uh, I was trying to run the six-minute mile and uh, timing myself best I could. You know, we didn't have iPhones and all those things to, that we have today. And, and uh, I don't even know at that point if I had one of those uh, digital watches or I think I just had the old-fashioned ones. So you had to watch the, the time going around. Then you're getting confused on what minute you started on. But <clears throat> we had to run a six-minute mile. And I remember uh, when, when we got to the track that day, uh, our track coach was there. And uh, he said to us, he said, now, fellas, when you come around this turn, you need to hear me calling out these numbers. And if you hear those numbers, you're okay. But if, if, if you're any higher than that, and he gave us a range, he said, uh, you, might be, you, might, you might need to step it up. And so he gave us a lap-by-lap breakdown of where we needed to be. And I remember taking off, and here we go. And the good news is I was on a flat track, not in a hilly neighborhood. And I had all those, those guys with me. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to report that I made it within, within the six-minute time frame. And uh, I remember when I came around the turn the first time and I, ho- I heard Coach Irwin calling out the time, I thought, all right, I'm going to make it. That was just lap one. As I hit the turn into the second lap, I thought, don't get too confident. <laughs> And then you get this this pain, these cramps, and 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 you think, oh, and you you can't breathe, and and you're going, and 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 you're wondering if you're going to make it, and then you get your second win, don't you? And and then you're okay for a little while, and you make the turn, and you hear him calling out the time, and okay, I'm I'm still on course, that's wonderful, and and then the third turn, and 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 somewhere right before I completed the the third lap, uh, I, here comes the pain again, and then I hear it as I cross the line to finish the third lap, and I go by the coach, and he says, "Here's your time," and I'm thinking, I'm going to make it, and then I start kicking, and uh, I I got a little kick on the home stretch and I made it in like five and a half minutes and I I don't think I'd ever timed one that quickly now let me tell you what happened to me when it was over (laughs) I didn't do what most of you think I did but my legs were like jelly I remember a friend of mine, Danny Smitty, we were walking up from the track to go to the gym because we had practice. (laughs) We didn't get a lot of practicing done after that. But I remember thinking, man, my legs are like jello, you know? And I was watching Danny walk in front of me, and he and I had come in right together. And uh, and I I was getting a kick out of watching him and thinking to myself, I must look as bad as he does. (laughs) But we made it. We were running. And you're going to have good days and bad. You, you, you may have some days when your time is a little slow, but the race isn't over. And I'll tell you what the devil does. He specializes in taking snapshots, you know, 
oh, that last quarter mile wasn't too great. That last 50 yards, man, I mean, you're not on pace. You're in trouble. You blew it, buddy. You fell on the track and you skinned your knee. You might as well lay there. You're never going to make it. That's the way the devil operates with us. And our flesh says, man, go sit on the recliner and eat a bag of chips. We need to remember we're in the race, people. We're in the race. And by the way, doesn't it seem like the race is drawing to an end? Doesn't it seem like the finish line is in sight? Don't you imagine the intensity of the race is only going to pick up? Let me tell you, though, let me just give you some good news. We're already winners. What's Paul's concern? Not his reputation. Not his, uh, his portfolio or his riches. What is his concern? The race. Now, he was concerned that he run a winning race. Notice verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Everybody's in the race. All the runners are in the race, but only one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. What does a guy do that wants to win the race? He doesn't get out there and loaf. He doesn't decide to quit. If he's motivated by victory, if he desires to win the race, what is he going to do? He's going to run the race. I want you to know that our race is not against one another. We're racing with one another. And God has a course for each of us to run. And here's what determines our victory if we run it to the finish. Yes, we're going to fall, some of us more than others. Yes, we're going to lag behind other people. But if we keep running, we'll run to the finish and we'll run to win. That's what God has called us to do. I never, I never played a sport hoping that I just have a good show. I never played a game just thinking. Now, I knew there were some times, and, and by the way, early on, I, I was in a small Christian school. We got beat plenty, but I never went into a game thinking, we're going to lose. Now, in the back of my mind, I might have known that, but I, I never went into a game thinking that. I always went into the game thinking, man, we're going to do something special here. We're going to win. I remember we played a team when I was in the eighth grade. It was uh, uh, Kingsport Christian School in East Tennessee, and uh, I think Nancy Allen may have taught there years ago. And uh, we were playing Kingsport Christian School, and they were really good, and we were really bad. And um, they beat us in the regular season. I mean, I, I imagine it was 40, 50 points. They, they beat us. Well, here we are in the tournament. And the tournament was at Kingsport Christian School, and they were the number one seed. And guess who was the last seed, the bottom seed? That would have been us. And we played Kingsport Christian School, and at the end of the first quarter, the score was seven to five. Seven to five. And I remember those boys walking off the court at the end of the first quarter, and they looked at us, and they said, 
good game. You see, we'd gotten beat to death earlier, but we didn't quit. Now, we didn't beat Kingsport Christian. I think they ended up beating us by about 23 that day, but we competed. Look, we are already assured of victory in Christ. He won the race for us, but we need to compete. We need to compete. Don't give up. Don't, you know what? We get discouraged with some, you know, I, I just don't know if going to church is, 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 I mean, it's just so hard to get the kids ready and get everybody here. And it's so hard to, you know, just make it, hey, don't quit. Stay faithful. Keep running. Oh, I'm discouraged and, you know, things aren't going the way I thought they would. And I, I have this problem, sin, besetting sin in my life. And it just seems like I can't get big. Don't quit. Don't quit. Paul was concerned that he run a winning race. Don't you want to run to the finish? Don't you want to hear the words that the Apostle Paul said were the words that we would hear at some point? Uh, well done, the Lord Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words? Well done. Paul was concerned that he run a winning race. Paul was concerned that he run a worthy race. Notice verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now, think about that. They, these guys, these athletes, they discipline their body. They train. They eat right. I mean, you look at a guy like Tom Brady who's in his 40s, and he's still competing as a quarterback, and he's still very successful. And if you do anything, if you learn anything about Brady and his uh, regimen, you understand that he eats certain foods, very disciplined in that, and uh, he is uh, constantly working to improve and prolong his ability to compete at a certain level. Well, I admire people like that. I certainly do. Uh, I'm falling far short of that. Uh, and uh, the good news is I'm, I don't have to get on an NFL roster anytime soon. Those guys get notoriety, they get fame, they get money. But those are corruptible crowns. Our crown is incorruptible. It's eternal. It fades not away to bring glory and honor to Jesus, to bring souls into heaven. Our commitment, our lives, our service is not for a corruptible crown. It's for an incorruptible. May God help us to remember that. What are we striving for? We're striving for the eternal glory of God. We're striving for the souls of men. We're striving for our children and for our wives and for our families. Paul says, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not out here shadow boxing. No, I'm trying to land some punches on the devil. I'm trying to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not wasting my energies. The devil will try to tell you that you are. Our labor's not in vain in the Lord. He says, verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That means one who has run an unworthy race. There's a great danger for all of us, isn't there? That we would be snared with some temptation, some sin. 
that we would run an unworthy race. And so may God help us to walk uh, in the spirit, to discipline our hearts and our minds, because we're living in a world of temptation. We're, we're, living, we're saturated in it. It, as Lot's righteous soul was vexed from day to day, it vexes our souls. And that's why we need a disciplined regimen, a time, a place to enter into the presence of God. That's why we need uh, to buffet the flesh so that we train ourselves to do things that even we don't want to do. Have you ever not wanted to go to church on Wednesday night? I shouldn't ask you that. I already know the answer. But we know we need to do it, right? We know we need to witness and hand out gospel tracts. We know we need to tithe of our income. We know we need to read the word of God. We know we need to pray. We need to do these things to please the Lord, to strengthen our soul, to equip us to run the race so that we stay within the rules that we please the Lord. You see, after the race was run, the judge, uh, the runners would come before the judge, the judge who was watching the proceedings to see if anyone had gotten outside the rules, if anybody had gotten out of bounds, if anybody had cheated or run an unworthy race. And if they had, they would receive uh, a sign from the judge, it would be a thumbs down, meaning they were disqualified. But if they had ran a worthy race, they would receive a sign that was a thumbs up and they would receive the crown. May God help us to run our race tonight. Let's get back in the race. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.